there was a shepherd who had a bunch of sheep out on the pasture land, out on a rolling hill, all the sheep out there together, and, and they were grazing as sheep do and just sort of there. But there was one sheep that had found a tuft of grass that was particularly plush and good-looking and was eating on that particular grass, and another sheep came over and decided it wanted that particular grass. And so it, it pushed and kicked and bumped its way until it was eating that grass. And then that sheep pushed back on the sheep that had come in, the second sheep that had come in to eat uh, the first sheep's grass. And so there was this little squabble between the sheep, and finally the second sheep walked off away from the rest of the flock. And the, that sheep uh, went over the berm and saw down below that there were some blackberries down there. And those blackberries looked really good. And so the, that sheep went down into uh, this a little bit of a ravine to get better access to the blackberries and was nibbling at the blackberries on the outside of, of the briar bush and then started working its way in a little bit deeper. And as it did, it was getting more of those blackberries that were inside the bush, but its wool was getting caught in the brambles. And pretty soon that sheep is away from the other sheep, away from the flock, and off by itself and caught in the brambles and unable to return even if it knew the way back. And so it's stuck. And the shepherd comes along looking for that sheep. The rest of the flock is up on the hill, but that shepherd is looking around for the sheep and going, where, where did that sheep go? Oh, there it is. And the shepherd comes down and finds the sheep entangled in the blackberry bush and begins to unhook the brambles from the wool of the sheep and clip the, the brambles away so that the sheep can be free and lead the sheep back to the rest of the flock. This is essentially the story that Jesus told last week. He said, God is like that shepherd. God is like that shepherd. And when the sheep wander away from the flock, and when the sheep find themselves entrapped in sin, when God's people wander away from the community of his people and find themselves entrapped in sin, God comes and he finds them to bring them back. He comes searching for them. Like a loving shepherd comes searching for his sheep, God comes searching for his people when they find themselves in sin. And that's the story from last week because that's God's heart. Is that those who are, have wandered away from him and have gotten themselves entrapped in sin, that he would be able to restore them and bring them back. That is the heart of God. And today, what we're going to talk about is how you and I can participate in that mission of God, in that purpose of God, in that will of God to bring those sheep back. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, we're in verse 15 today. And I'm going to read this whole section and then we'll go back and take it piece by piece. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. You see, this beginning in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If your brother sins against you, can you imagine being like that sheep that's eating the grass and then the other one comes over and pushes you away from your very nice tuft of grass? You say, wait, hey, hey, hang on now, that's my tuft of grass, and you go back and sort of push back again, and then it kicks you before it gives up and wanders off. That is the joy of living in the Christian community. That sometimes there is uh, challenges relationally between us. There is uh, division at times. Occasionally there is envy. Occasionally there is some other kind of um, frustration or struggle or anger within the Christian community and we get bit or we get kicked. And what are you supposed to do when that happens? Well, serves them right. I mean, that, that kind of is the way that I first see this, right? If I'm a sheep and I'm eating a beautiful tuft of grass and some other sheep comes and pushes his way in and tries to steal it from me and then kicks me because I won't let him have it, then if he wanders off and gets himself stuck in some brambles, that's on him. It's his own fault. But what Jesus is saying is, listen, When we're in the Christian community together and you see somebody, even if they have hurt you, even if their sin is directed against you, if they have hurt you, but then you see them wandering off and getting into trouble, then what you should do is you should go after them. You should go after them. You should see if you can bring them back. Can you restore them? Can you go and and find them? So he says, if if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Just between you and him alone. Just between you and him alone. We don't need to make a big deal about it. If there's somebody that has offended you within the Christian community, if they have done something to wrong you intentionally or unintentionally, maybe they said something spitefully, maybe they, they said something that was offensive to you, Maybe they thought that they were joking. Maybe they, they didn't mean anything by it, or maybe they just were in a bad mood and so they lashed out at you. Then what should you do about that? He says, we'll go and, and tell your, the fault. Point, point it out. You come up to them and you say, I just I want you to know that I see this, I have experienced this, this is sin that I see in your life. This is sin that I see in your life. Point it out to them. Maybe they're unaware. 
Maybe they're aware, but they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to acknowledge it. But if they listen, if you come up to them and you say, you know, those things that you said to me last week were very hurtful to me. It was very offensive. And then they respond and say, I am so sorry. I, am, I did not mean to offend you. I did not mean to offend you. I had no idea. Or perhaps they might respond and say, that was offensive to you? Yeah, I can see, I can see how that might be the case. I can see how I offended you, and I was, just, I was hoping that it would just slide and that, that you wouldn't notice, or that it, I, I, wasn't, I was in a bad place last week, and I, I just, it was a struggle. I, I should not have lashed out at you in the way that I did. And if you have that kind of a response, then he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, just between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, then you have gained your brother. If, you have, if he listens to you, if he responds to you, if he's repentant of his sin, then you have gained your brother. You've won. That's what we're going for. There was division within, within the flock. There was division, and we have had this success now. This is what we are going for. This is the ideal outcome, that there was some sort of division, some sort of problem within the community, and now that has been fixed and restored, and the brother has been restored, and there has been repentance, and the sin has been removed. The offense is, done, is forgiven and done away with, and we can just say, okay, clean slate, we're moving on back in relationship again. This is not the only place that it talks about this. In fact, sometimes it is between brother and brother, sister and sister, brother and sister within the community of Christ. Sometimes the offense is that sometimes you may see somebody who is in sin and the sin wasn't directed at you. You just see it, observe it. But as a fellow member in the community of Christ, we say, oh, I care too much about you to let it go. I could overlook it. I could pretend it's not there. But, but I love you too much to let it go. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to tell you about it anyway. I know it wasn't directed at me. I personally am not offended. I personally uh, am, am not attacked or injured or hurt by this in any way. However, I recognize that this is a sin for you and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be there. It shouldn't be left unaddressed. And so go to your brother and tell him his fault between you and him alone, and if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. James chapter 5, verse 19 puts it this way. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see, sometimes I, I think that we come to believe in our own hearts, in our own minds, that our sin is not that big of a deal. 
it's just not that important of a thing. And so then when we see it in somebody else, we, we go, ah, it's, it's probably not that big a deal. It's probably not that important. I, I don't want to uh, go to them and point this out and talk with them. I, it, it would just be awkward and embarrassing for them if I tell them about it. And it, it might cause division. They might not respond very well. I, I have a pretty good relationship with them right now. And if I go and I point this out, they, they might hate me for pointing it out. And James says, no, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, fellow members in the community of Christ, I want you to know that if you see someone who is wandering away from the truth, if you see someone who is wandering away from the truth and walking in sin or pursuing sin or flirting with sin, and you see that, you observe that, then what you should do is you should come alongside them and say, hey, let's move back this way. Let's leave that be. Let's turn away from that. Let's repent of that sin. Let's leave that alone and go away from there and come back over here. Because as Matthew puts it, or as Jesus puts it in the book of Matthew, then you have won your brother or sister. And as James puts it, you have saved his wandering soul from death. You saved his death. Sin is not something to be trifled with. It's not something to be flirted with. It's like those blackberry bushes that they, those blackberries look very sweet and juicy, but as the sheep is nibbling on them, it begins to get entangled. And the more of the, oh, well, I can, have you ever picked blackberries? And you pick all the easy ones first. And then the ones that you can reach up here, and then the ones that are down here like this. But then you see that, oh, that's a really nice bunch that's just, just out of reach always. And so if I just step carefully like this and reach like that, I can pick these berries and put them in my bucket. And, oh, but then uh, now from this angle, I can see that one too. And so then you do like this, right? And pretty soon your arms are all scratched up and you're, it's in your hair and it's snagged the back of your shirt and you're going, help, help, can somebody free me please? This is how sin is. That's how sin is. You see it and you flirt with it and it doesn't seem like it's any big deal, but the more you sort of pursue it and grab onto it, the more you see and go, well, I mean, as long as I've gone this far, what's one more step? And pretty soon you have entrapped yourself, you've ensnared yourself in this sin and you're going, help, help, and it's too late, you're stuck. You're stuck. It is. When James talks about it, he says, let's not mess around with this. Let's not flirt with this. Let's not pretend that this is no big deal. Let's not just assume that we'll be able to get out of this with no consequences. No, when you restore somebody, when you keep somebody from sin and they repent of it and you bring them back, you are saving their wandering soul from death. That's what's happened here. 
And when we put it in those kinds of terms, then my little step back and, well, I don't really want to offend him. If I say that, she might take it the wrong way, and I just, don't, I just don't want there to be any trouble in the community of Christ if I point out their sin. They might hate me. They're about to die. They are wandering away from the truth and on a path toward destruction. We cannot pretend that that is anything to be trifled with, or not a big deal. We must respond. Galatians chapter 6 puts it like this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you, if you see somebody, then just come alongside them in all gentleness, right? I mean, there, there are good ways to do this and there are bad ways to do this. You might say, but well, I'm really going to offend them if I point out their sin. Don't do it in that way. Do it with humility. Do it within relationship, within friendship. Do it gently, kindly. Come alongside them. I, I want you to know that I see this in your life. And I don't really want to say anything, but for your own good, I, I think you need to repent of this sin. God's word says you need to repent of this sin. We, we come with, with gentleness we come with humility. We don't come with arrogance because we recognize that we too are going to be in that same place. We're going to need somebody to come alongside us to share with us and say, Travis, that was sin. The way that you responded there, that was not good. We're going to need people to do the same for us as well. As it said in Isaiah 53, we referenced this last week, so I'm not going to pull it up and go back, back into it, but we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We cannot arrogantly be like, well, you know, I'm the good sheep of the family. And so I've been telling all those black sheep of the family that you got, can't do that. I've been sitting here over on the sweet grass staying within the flock the whole time. And I told him he shouldn't do that, but he never listens to me. None of us are in that position. There's no room for us to take a posture of arrogance like that. All of us require others watching out for us. That's the gift of the Christian community is that we get to watch out for one another. We're watching out for each other. So when somebody comes to you and says, I see this sin in your life, you can go, oh, thank you for having my back on this. Now, if that's your response, props to you. Because while that may be my second or third response, my first response is almost never that. And so I just want you to know that if you see sin in my life and you come and point it out to me, I will appreciate it later. I will appreciate you a lot 
later. In the moment, I might not respond gently. It's my flesh. It just, ah. But that doesn't mean I don't want you to tell me. I do want you to tell me. My, my, my wife is uh, the closest person to me. She sees everything. And she has this way of coming to me at the right time. But there are times when she can't wait for the right time. And she comes anyway. And she says, I think you need to take a time out. I don't want to do that. My response, I can handle it. No, Travis, not handling it. So this is my counsel. If somebody is bold enough to come to you and say that they see sin in your life, understand that that's coming from a heart of love. It is because they love you. Even if they say it poorly, even if they say it completely insensitively, if they come to you and they say, I don't know why you're so stupid and you're doing this, but that's sin. Now, hopefully, they're going to come more gently than that, but even if they come that way, respond humbly. Because we need each other. We need people watching out for us. We need people walking alongside us and seeing the things that we're tempted toward. Oh, no, no, don't don't go for that, Blackberry. Don't go for that. That's not a good idea. We need people in that kind of community. This is one of the joys of life groups that you are with people enough that you get to know each other's strengths and weaknesses. You get to know people's temptations and you get to help people as they're struggling through things. That's a great joy about life groups. It's a challenge in life groups too. It's a great challenge in life groups. But we need it, right? We need that kind of help from each other. Brothers, this is what it said in Galatians chapter 6. If anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness while keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The law of Christ. Now this is coming right after Galatians chapter 5 because it was Galatians chapter 6. And at the end of Galatians But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here they are. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And we may look at this list and we notice some of the really, really bad ones and go, whoosh, that's not me. But how many of these are things that happen within community? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. That happens within community, even within Christian community. Which is why he, Paul has to tell the church, hey, guys, watch out for this. That's sin. That's sin. When you respond in somebody to anger, that's sin. When you've got division within the congregation, that's sin. When there's dissension or enmity or strife, that's sin. And those are the kinds of sins that become very isolating, right? Because it causes division of relationship within the community of Christ. And then people go, you know what? I'm done with this. I don't need this kind of community. I'm on my own. I'm better off on my own. And guess what? You're not better off on your own. You're not better off on your own. So what we have to do is we have to build a community that is following Christ together and has each other's backs and is coming with gentleness and humility and receiving correction with humility and grace so that we can all avoid the pitfalls of sin that lead our wandering souls to death. If you're going to go to somebody because you see what's going on, then check your heart first. If you see sin within them, then you check your heart and go, okay, am I going with a pure heart? Am I going with gentleness? Am I going with humility? And am I going in prayer? Okay, let's go. If not, let's stop and get those things in line before we go. Because otherwise we're setting ourselves up for explosion. Okay, so then, let's say now you go and you approach your brother or sister in Christ, your fellow member of the Christian community, you approach them, you point out their sin to, to them, they recognize it, they're very gracious about it, they respond well, they're restored to community, and we win, Right? Yes, we are going to the kingdom of heaven together. What happens if they don't listen? You brought it. You did your due diligence. You went to them. You talked with them. You said, I see the sin in your life. I think that you should uh, repent and come back. And they said, no. Maybe they say, I'm not willing to repent. Maybe they say, take a hike. I'm not going to listen to you. Maybe they say, I don't think that is sin. I don't think I have a sin problem. Certainly not that sin problem. What do you do? 
You care about your brother or sister in Christ. You, you love them. You don't want to see their wandering hearts head that way and flirting with those sins or taking on those sins. So you don't want to just let them go. This, is, this seems like a pattern to me. This seems like something that is, is a character thing that's doing things. And I think it's a problem. But they won't listen to you. So what do you do? Verse 16. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, I, I talked with them, and they didn't listen. They didn't believe me, or they just refused to repent and, and respond. And so then what do I do? I say... I went and I talked with them. I'm going to go to mutual friends. I'm going to talk with the mutual friends. I'm going to say, I, I went and talked with them, and they wouldn't listen to me. Do you see this as a problem too? They think I'm crazy for thinking that this is a problem. Is, is this a problem? Yeah, that's a problem. That's sin that needs to be addressed. Okay, they're not listening to me. Will you go with me? We'll try again. And within the context of family, within the context of Christian community, we can go with a couple of us and we talk with them and say, look, I already talked with you once. And you, you said to take a hike. And I, I, I know I could have done that. But I really see this as being a problem, and I, I really do love you and want what's best for you. And so I talked with some others just to check and see, am I the one that's crazy here? And there's, there's two of us. There are three of us here that we think that this is a sin issue for you. We, we think that you have some arrogance and pride that you really need to repent of and deal with. We think that you have an anger problem here that, that you need to repent of. We think that there is jealousy and envy in your life that is taking hold of you. We think that there is some bitterness that has taken root in your life. And so we are here to talk with you about that. We see some lust that we think that you need to address and repent of. And so you and your couple of friends come and your mutual friends and you come together and you say, we see this in your life and because of our love for you, we want to see you restored to relationship with God, and we see that this is leading you away from Him instead. And hopefully, when we do that, when we approach our brother and sister in Christ with that kind of humility, with mutual friends who are coming alongside saying, look, we are saying this for your own good, and we want to help you. We recognize this sin burden in you. Can we bear it with you and help you back? Can we help you repent of that and provide some account so that we don't have to get into this anymore? We really want to help you with this. And they do. And we win again. We have won our brother or sister for Christ so that their wandering soul may not head down to destruction, but we have brought them back and we won. 
for the sake of our community, for the sake of the kingdom of God, and for the sake of their individual soul. We win, we win, we win. They have repented of their sin, and they are, are no longer headed on that path to destruction. But what happens if they don't? What if they say, forget it, take a hike? Get lost. Not one, not two, not three of you, not four of you. It doesn't matter. This is who I am. If you don't like me for me, then I guess we can't be friends. If he refuses to listen, this is verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them... Tell it to the church. Bring it to the whole Christian community. And we say we see the sin that's happening here. And they're unwilling to repent. They're unwilling to turn away from their sin. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And when we get down to this verse, it's like, wait a second. I know this verse. This is the church discipline verse. This is the church discipline passage. This is the excommunication part. This is the part that every church has in their church doctrine that this is how we deal with church discipline. I don't like church discipline. I don't like excommunication. I don't like people judging me, watching over my shoulder to see if I'm good enough to be part of your church or you're going to kick me out. Because we don't really understand the purpose of church discipline. Or we don't really understand Christian community. We don't understand the purpose of church discipline because we don't understand that the heart behind this at every point is to save the soul of our brother or sister in Christ. Because we don't understand how serious sin is and that it's not a thing to be trifled with. Because we don't understand that it is with grace and humility that we would go to somebody and that at every point our desire is that they would be restored to relationship both with the church and with their God. Because what we recognize is that in their pursuing of sin, it is causing division between them and God and therefore between them and His church. Restoration. Always restoration. When you go to them privately one-on-one, the goal is restoration. When you go to them with two or three good friends, the goal is restoration. When you tell it to the church, the goal is restoration. That's why you brought it to the church. This is a big deal, and we want them restored to community. 
And when you treat them as a Gentile or tax collector, it is because you want to see them restored to relationship with the church and with their God. You see people who look at just the church discipline excommunication passage, they don't understand that heart. They don't understand that purpose and that desire, and what they see is a judgmental group going, you're not good enough to be in here. Get out. And you kick them out. So either we don't understand the purpose of church discipline, which is always restoration, or we don't understand Christian community because we don't actually see a difference between being in the Christian community and being outside the Christian community. And I see two different ways that people fall off on this. The one is that they go, Gentiles and tax collectors? Nope. We don't deal with them. And so if we're kicking you out of our church, get lost. We're going to treat you as a Gentile and tax collector, which means we don't associate with you. We don't talk with you. We don't have anything to do with you. You've been excommunicated. We don't communicate with you no more. But has that been the pattern in the book of Matthew of Jesus' relationship with tax collectors and Gentiles and sinners? No. He hangs out with them while graciously calling them to repentance and to invite them into the kingdom of God. That's what you do with a Gentile and a tax collector. You hang out with them and you invite them into the kingdom of God. But within the Christian community, we recognize that this isn't just a place that we come and hang out on Sunday mornings. It's not just a a special club where you get a card that says, hey, Christian, welcome here. Life together, that we worship God together and follow Him together, that we have each other's backs here. And so if you experience that kind of community here, then it means something to be part of this. It's not just you're being disfellowshipped, you're being thrown out, you cannot come and worship here anymore. We're talking about the kind of uh, relationship like a family that we love each other here and we want to support one another and bear one another's burdens here and if you aren't a part of that, you're not receiving that benefit and love and grace that comes through the community of Jesus Christ in the form of his church. Once a quarter, we have a new to new life class and people who are new to new life church can come and learn more about what our church is like how we're structured, what our purposes are, what our mission is how we're structured, all of those kinds of things, what we believe. 
And I have, uh, over the last 15 years or so, taught this part of the New to New Life class a lot, the church discipline part. And I love to do it because people are so mixed up and confused about what it is. And I love to be able to say, look, the reason that we do these things, the reason that we take these steps is because we see sin as being super important. It's super serious. And we love each other enough that we want to keep people away from that and restore them to relationship with God and His church. In fact, in verse 18, it puts it like this. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The, the things that we are doing here on earth have eternal consequences. We've heard this kind of language before, just back in chapter 16. You'll recall this. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not pre prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what, if you are keeping score at home, what you should notice is this. What are the keys to the kingdom? The confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and to repent of your sin. That's it. Those are the keys. And when we come along with, to somebody and we say, do you know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the son of the living God himself? If you believe that, and if you repent of your sin, if we come alongside them and say, you need to repent of this sin so that we can walk in righteousness before God, if you do those two things, welcome to the kingdom of heaven. You have freed them. You freed them here on earth and it has eternal impact for them. Those are the keys to the kingdom, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and to repent of our sin. And we, as the Christian community, are equipped by God to bring those messages to people so that they be, may be sinners who are restored and so they, they might become believers in Jesus Christ. That's what we do here. He says again in verse 19, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And this verse is pulled out of this disciplinary or this uh, um, restoration context very often so that we go, well, wherever two or three of God's people are gathered in his name, they can ask for anything and God will give it to them. But what's the context here? The context here is that if two or three witnesses come to you, right? If one person comes to you and says, I see sin in your life, and this is where it says so in the scriptures, and this is where I see it in your life, and that's sin. 
I might say, mm, I'm not convinced. But if two or three Christians come in God's name, they are representatives of God here on earth to establish in agreement with His Scriptures what is and what is not sin. And when they come to you together like that, then they, they uh, bring this together and they... Well, let me try. I'll just read it. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. There is the presence of God among you. And oh, is that my desire for this community. That we might be a community that has each other's backs and is watching out for one another. That we take sin seriously and are continually repenting of our sin. Bearing one another's burdens so that we might be restored to relationship first with God and then with His church. And if that is the case for this group of people, what a beautiful picture of heaven that will be. It is not easy. It's not easy to go to somebody and confront them with their sin. It's not easy to be confronted with your sin. But if we do it with prayer and gentleness and grace, and we receive it with humility and grace, what a beautiful community this becomes. Let's pray. Lord God, we recognize that this is not a thing that we can do on our own. We cannot walk in righteousness on our own. We cannot avoid sin on our own, and we can certainly not help anyone else out of sin on our own. And so, Lord, we ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place, in our lives, and in this community, that we might display the fruit of the Spirit rather than that of the flesh, that we might be able to repent of our sin and be restored to relationship with you. And Lord, we know that this is only possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so it is in his name that we ask for your help in this. Amen.